0: Father, we do thank you this morning, this afternoon. Thank you for this reality that there is nothing that can pluck us out of your hand. Lord, even as the praise and worship team was singing that, I was just thinking about your words in John chapter 10. When you said that, you declared that nobody or nothing, there's no evil scheme, there's there's no plots, there's no, the reality is we can't even fall out of your hand. We are that secure in you. So Father, we thank you this morning and we pray this morning that the reality of that would birth in us praise and adoration, that it would birth in us a sense of awe and wonder at the fact that you not only are able to save us, but you are able to keep us. And we thank you this very morning. We gather as a corporate body this morning under the reality that we are, those that have trusted in you, are secure until you come back. And reality is, you will come back. And we look forward to that day. It's in Christ's name we pray. Everybody say amen. Well, welcome to Epiphany Church. It is good to be here this morning gathered with the body of Christ, proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. Y'all look good like I always do. Why don't you look to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, y'all look good today. Come on, that neighbor may not look that good. Look at another neighbor. So you're not lying in church. Tell them you look good today. Amen. Well, listen, listen, I'm eager. I'm really am. I'm I'm eager to preach the word of God. So if you can do me a favor and grab your Bibles, grab your devices, grab your your cell phones, your laptops. Nobody uses laptops right now. So grab your devices or whatever you got. Turn to first Peter chapter five. If you guys can turn me down just a little bit more. First Peter chapter number five is where we're going to be. As you guys are turning there, man, I don't know about you, but I'm excited. We are entering into the last chapter of uh, first Peter and we've been going through it. If you've been here for any amount of time or maybe you're not familiar with our church, we've been going through this entire book of first Peter. And this has been a book that the Lord has really used to speak to us. Um, And, you know, as a church, you know, we feel most comfortable as we talk about teaching the whole counsel of God One of the ways we want to do that is by going through a book of the Bible. So we started our church by going through uh, all of the book of Colossians. Uh, We also last year went through all of the book of Jonah. And this is our third book that we're going through, the book of 1 Peter. And we're now, I mean, we are downhill from here in the last chapter. And as we end the book, one of the things I didn't want to do was I didn't want us to end the book and then just walk away and not have reflected upon the nutrients we got out of this book. And so as you walked in this morning or this afternoon, uh, you would have walked by a, a wall that says First Peter Thoughts. And we want to encourage you guys and invite you guys to write on that wall some thoughts that uh, you gained from First Peter. Maybe it's a word you want to write on there. Maybe it's a sentence or a couple of sentences or a paragraph. Uh, if you find a white space on that board, we want you guys to write something on it And if you need to refresh your memory, go with your Bible in front of of the wall, or you can go with your phone, or you can look up, and there's a collage of the sermon topics. You guys can think back to the sermons, and and maybe there was one part of this book that really, really challenged you, encouraged you, convicted you. Whatever it was, we, we encourage you guys to write something on that wall so that we can just gain some information of how this book has impacted. And that's one of the things I love, man, about the Word of God is how the word is able to go out, and it can be the same word, the same seed, but impact us all in different ways. That's nothing but the Holy Spirit's uh, involvement in, uh, in the text, and so I encourage you guys to do that on your way out. It will be there for a couple of weeks, and so if you, uh, if you neglect to do it today, it'll be there next week and uh, possibly the week after, so please, please fill up that wall as much as you can uh, with some First Peter Thoughts. All right, let's do this. Let's get into the word of God today. I'm excited. I don't know if you guys can tell, but I'm eager to jump in it. Verse number one of chapter five says this. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Look at this exhortation. Please underline this next phrase. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those that is in your charge, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, talking about Christ, appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I want to preach today from the topic entitled, An Exhortation to Elders. An Exhortation to Elders. Let us look before the Lord. Father, this morning, we, or this afternoon, we come before you with great anticipation that you're going to speak to us right out of what you've already spoken through your apostle. Father, I thank you that we don't have to come in here and try to find some type of new revelation We can just preach what you've already spoken and what was good for the original readers of this text is good for us today. It's good for us now because we still have suffering. It's good for us now because we still have sin. It's good for us now because Christ is still the head, which Peter points us to today in our passage. So Father, would you meet us? Holy Spirit, we need you. We are claiming that we are dependent upon you. Let us not presume that we can understand this passage without your Holy Spirit, use our minds today use me today to speak only what your text says nothing more nothing less only what your text says today so God our time help us to be doers of the word not hearers only lest we deceive ourselves it's in Christ's name we pray amen. amen an exhortation to elders yesterday i was in need of a haircut and so i did what i frequently do i jumped on Fulton Ave and ran down Fulton Street and ran down to Fulton and Clinton and went to my barbershop, barbershop called Levels Barbershop. First chair, a guy named Lionel's. Lionel cut my hair up, and uh, and I was good to go. Last year, I had a ear infection. I thought I had just an ear infection. I went to the doctor, and the doctor found I found out from the doctor that I had a double ear infection. Both ears were infected, so he gave me some ear drops with some antibiotics in them. Uh, year before that, I had a toothache that was a constant pain, so I went to the dentist and. Dennis drilled a hole in my tooth and gave me what you would know as a root canal. 15 years ago, I had a vocal cord surgery. I had some type of issue on my vocal cord, and so the doctor went in and did what you would call an outpatient uh, surgery. A few minutes, I was in and out. Here's what I didn't do. All of those things that I just named, I did not trust myself to do them myself. I entrusted myself into the care of somebody else's hands. I didn't go into the mirror and try to do my own root canal. I didn't say I'm going to do my own outpatient surgery today, but I said I'm going to entrust myself, my care, into the hands of somebody else that is gifted to do it. Here's the problem. Most of us push against the church when it comes to submitting our spiritual life to what the text would say is faithful elders. God has put in place elders to give oversight, to give direction, to give leadership, to give protection, to give feeding to the church. He's trusted that to what he would say in the text as elders. Just like you wouldn't give yourself a root canal. Why is it when our spiritual life, we trust ourselves more than we trust the leadership that God has put in place over the church? Reality is uh, the Lord never set it up to be that way. Here's what Hebrews 13 verse 11 will say. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Here's the scary part of the text. As one who will give an account, let them do this with joy, not groaning. For what benefit or what advantage would that be to you? Here's what Peter and the writer of Hebrews will say, that God has entrusted over the church what you would call elders. And here's what I know. The verse just said in Hebrews that I have to give an account for how I shepherd you. For how I give oversight, here's the reality, man. I have to stand before the Lord and give an account for myself. I have to stand before the Lord and give an account for how I shepherded my family, my wife and my two boys. But I also have to give an account and stand before God on your behalf. But here is what I will not do. I will not stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I didn't shepherd him well. Lord, I just preached whatever whatever I wanted to preach, my own opinion. I want to stand before the Lord with confidence and say, I may have not done it perfectly, but I did it to the best of my ability. And the text will tell us today that, that he puts elders in place, leadership, elders in place. Now, here's why it's important for us. Our church is what's known as an elder rule church or an elder led church. We believe based on our convictions in the New Testament, that elders are supposed to lead the church. We are not a congregational church, meaning we'll never say, let's all get together as a church and let's vote for the direction. Let's vote for outreach and what we'll do. Let's vote for the color of the paint on the walls. We will not do that because we're not a congregational church, not hating on. I have friends that are, and I'm not hating on that. We believe that the New Testament points us to elders as leaders of the church. We're not a deacon-led church. We believe in deacons, 1 Peter 3 and Titus 1. We absolutely believe in deacons, but we do not believe that a group of a deacon board will lead the direction of the church. The New Testament shows us that elders are in, are in charge of the church. And so because God takes his church very, very seriously, we take the role of elders Very, very seriously. Now, if you're in here and you're like, I have no aspiration to be an elder, why are you teaching on this? Well, we've been consecutively going through this book verse by verse, and Peter lands here today. So because Peter lands here today, it's important for us to also preach this. And I think it's good for you to hear because you need to know how to hold accountable those who this church will call elders. You need to know how to hold me accountable. You should hold me accountable for everything that 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5 just said. And also there might be some in here that are aspiring to the role of eldership, which the Bible will say is a good aspiration. They need to know what they're getting themselves into. So the text will tell us today, why don't you do me a favor, pick me back up in verse number one. I want you to notice the plurality of the word that he uses when he does say elders. So I exhort, look at this word, the elders, plural, among you. Notice that when Peter wanted to give us an exhortation to the elders, he does not say elder singular. In other words, there must have been a plurality of elders that were in the context of who he's writing to. Now, he's not writing to a church. I told you when we first started, he is writing this letter and it's circulating throughout the scattered persecuted believers. It is circulating between Pontius, Galilea, Cappadocia, Bethany. It's going through all of these cities, but what he's doing is he's realizing that in all of these cities, there is a plurality of elders that are scattered with them. And this is consistent with all of the New Testament. Anytime in the New Testament you see the word elders, it's always used in a plural sense. And if it is used in a singular sense, it's still used in a plural context. Like For example, you'll see if you keep looking down verse number one, you'll see the word elder. But he says, I'm a fellow elder, meaning I'm a fellow elder in the context of elders. Can I put some more Bible here? Because I think it's important for us to understand this plural, this shared leadership. Here's what Apostle Paul did when he left Titus in Crete. He said this, Titus 1, verse number five, appoint elders in every city, plural, James 5, 14, if anyone is sick among you, then he must call on, watch this, the elders, plural, of the church, singular. Let me keep going. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. When they had appointed elders in every church, singular, having prayed and fasted, they commended them to the Lord. Acts chapter 20, verse 17, he sent Ephesus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders, plural, of the church, singular, Acts 15, verse number four, or two more. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church, the apostles and the elders. Acts chapter 15, verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church, singular, to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch. So over and over and over again in the New Testament, you will see a plurality of men, a shared leadership when it comes to this role of elders. Now, I know you're sitting there going, Pastor, you're just hitting on the New Testament. Of course, in the Old Testament, there were some that led by themselves. What about Moses? Moses led by himself, but doesn't his father-in-law Jethro challenge him on that idea? His father-in-law Jethro watches him. In fact, in Exodus chapter 18, let me quickly go there and read this to you. In Exodus 18, what you'll see is you'll see Moses doing something crazy. He's sitting by himself All day long, judging and ruling and giving leadership to Israel. His father-in-law sees him and he is not happy with what he sees. Look at what the text says. If you're writing notes, please jot this verse down. Exodus chapter 18, it says, The next day Moses set to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses, listen, from morning until evening. Then Moses' father-in-law saw him and saw all that he was doing uh, for the people. And he said to them, What is this that you were doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all of the people stand around you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, they come to me. And when I have decided between a person and another, I make them know the statues of God's law. Moses' father-in-law said to him, watch what his father-in-law says. What you are doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out. For this thing is too heavy. You are not able to do it alone. That's a rebuke. Verse 19, now obey my voice. I will give you advice and, you will, and, and God will be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. You shall warn them about the statues and the laws and make them know in the way in which they, should, they must walk. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, who hate a bribe, and place such men over these people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people in, in everything. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but the small matters you shall decide yourself. So this will be easier for you, and you will be able to bear, and they will be able to bear the burden with you. And if you endure, and all the people also will go to their places in peace, Watch this. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he said. And Moses chose able men from Israel. What you see in the context of is, is, uh, is Exodus chapter number 18 is Moses sitting by himself, And Moses is judging and giving leadership to all of Israel. The Bible says thousands and hundreds and fifties are coming to him all day, every day. He's sitting there judging the people. His father-in-law comes. He's probably like, my daughter's sitting at home and you're not at home with my daughter. You are judging people all day long. And he gives him a rebuke. He says, what you're doing is not good. You should not do this alone. And then he goes so far as to say, you're going to wear yourself out and the people. And so what does Moses do? Moses listens to his father-in-law, and he puts men in place in order to share the leadership. When Peter says in our context today, elders, he is consistent with what the Bible says. One pastor congregation is not normal in the text. Now, I know you're sitting here going, well, pastor, you seem a little hypocritical today because you are the only pastor at the church, and I would agree with you, but that should be temporary. And even now, there, you guys may not know this, but we have a management team filled with pastors that still give me accountability for the direction of this church. A provisional elder board until we have more elders in place. We do not subscribe to a one pastor, senior pastor model. There should be a plurality, shared leadership. Not to mention, I got a wife and two kids. You know, earlier, uh, not this week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, like two nights in a row, I was here until like 10 o'clock. I was doing some counseling, but also doing some other stuff. I had some, a lot of work to do, and I got home two, uh, two nights in a row after 10 o'clock, and my wife at the second night just wasn't having it. She was like, it's after 10 o'clock, and it's the second night in a row. Your boys are going to bed. She, she did what Jethro did. She rebuked me, and if y'all know Ty, y'all know she know how to, she know how to sharply rebuke you. So I received the rebuke. Here's what I, I believe in. Proverbs chapter 11. Verse number 14, in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Listen to me, a one pastor senior model isn't consistent with the text. You need a plurality of elders, plurality of men that can weigh into the leadership of the church. And so Peter says in our text, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. But then he doesn't just call himself a fellow elder. He says that he's an eyewitness. Now, you should be asking yourself, what is he an eyewitness of? Let's look back in the text. Verse number one. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and an eyewitness to the suffering of Christ. Paul is reminding these believers that Christ also suffered. Here's the interesting thing. I mean, not Paul, Peter. Here's the interesting thing about Peter. Peter is the only one. The readers of this letter were not eyewitnesses of Christ's ministry, nor were they eyewitnesses of Christ's suffering. Like, I don't know, like Peter, he's he's good because if I'm if I witness Christ's ministry, if I witness Christ's sufferings, I promise you I'm gonna walk with just a little bit more swag. I'm just I'm rebuking everybody, I'm not giving exhortations, I'm giving commands. Peter doesn't do that. Peter gives in our text an exhortation. He lovingly pushes them to respect and love and adhere and even go so far later on to say submit to the elders. What he's doing is reminding them because all letter long, he's been showing them that you will suffer. You will be persecuted. You will suffer. You will be persecuted like three or four major times in this letter. He went to suffering. And now he says, I witnessed Christ suffering. In other words, the king that we serve can be empathetic to our suffering because he himself suffered. So he's saying, listen, Christ suffered. This is intentional that he says that. Not to mention, he's also, he may be pushing the elders on the suffering of Christ because when it came to suffering and persecution in the New Testament, particularly during this time, the elders would have been the, on the front lines of persecution. And so he's encouraging the elders by talking about the suffering of Christ. But if you notice, we still haven't gotten to an exhortation. He's supposed to be ex- exhorting to the elders but hasn't given an exhortation yet. He's talking about the elders. He's talking about how he's an eyewitness. He's going to go on to talk about the glory that is going to be revealed. But look at verse number two. Here's the exhortation. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Let me lift up the first word that is in verse number two. Shepherd. That is what elders are called to do. My primary responsibility here at Epiphany Church is not to be the CFO of the church. I'm not supposed to just look at the finances and the budget of the church. Now, I do that, but that's not my primary responsibility. My primary responsibility is not to be a CEO, to work on the business affairs of the church. I have to do that, but that's not my primary responsibility. The primary responsibility of an elder, according to the text, is the shepherd. Now, if the text is implying that pastors or elders, which is synonymous If elders are called shepherds in the text, can we all agree that this is also implying that members are sheep in the text? And here's what I know about a sheep. A sheep is vulnerable. It just is. A sheep needs the protection of a shepherd. It just just does. Like You will not find on a NFL or a sports team a sheep as the mascot. The reason you won't, because they're, they're vulnerable. You'll never see the Chicago sheep. It's the Chicago bears. You won't see the Detroit lambs. It's the Detroit lions and the Jacksonville jaguars and the Timberwolves. All of the mascots are ones that hunt. But in our text, sheep are the hunted. They are vulnerable. They are weak. They are prone to wander. Let me put Bible on them being prone to wander. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. Sheep are not like pigeons or like dogs. If a dog wanders off, he knows how to find his way back home. If a sheep wanders off, he's lost. And without the shepherd washing him and feeding him and protecting him, he will be devoured by a wolf. So the text tells us today, listen, yes, elders are like shepherds, but the members, you must see yourself as a sheep. Here's what a professor of philosophy is quoted as saying. The existence of sheep is evidence against the the theory of evolution because it's no way a sheep would have survived that process. (laughs) A sheep would not be able to fend for himself. Sheep are 100%, not 99%, 100% dependent upon their shepherd to care for them, to protect them, and ultimately to feed them. That is a primary responsibility of an elder, of a shepherd, to feed you. This moment right now is a moment of feeding. That's what what a shepherd does. That's why in uh, Psalm chapter 23, David starts that psalm by saying that he leads me to the green pasture. For what? To play in the green? No, to graze on the green pasture. He leads me beside the still water, to drink of the still water. A shepherd's responsibility is to take the flock and feed them, which is why you should care about my devotional life. This is why you should care that I spend time in the word. You should have an expectation when you come in on a Sunday morning that pastor spent time in the word and he's going to feed us today. Do you know how many churches you can go to that the pastor spent no time in the word and he gets up and he preaches his opinion? Doesn't preach the word of God. And so the word tells us today, listen, my primary responsibility is. It's to feed you. And can I, can I also say to you, listen, feeding you means that I have to have time and preparation. And any meal that is prepared is always better than a meal that's thrown together. Like, think about, like, if somebody took a ribeye steak and marinated it and seasoned it well and then threw it in the microwave. Like, you wouldn't eat that. You need somebody that spends their time, put that thing on the grill, can turn it over, and you know, be like that dude with the salt and do one of those things. Like, you need that. That is what you do. you have no time for a microwave word. You need a word that is consistent with faithful orthodox Christianity. So the Bible tells us today, listen. Shepherds feed, and teaching you is a it's a qualification of an elder. Look at 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. It gives a list of qualifications. All of the qualifications are characteristics except one. The one that involves skill is teaching. Everything else is character, meaning you either have it or you don't. You cannot be taught it. The only thing you can be taught is teaching. And so the Bible says shepherd them. Part of shepherding means that you have to feed them. And can I suggest to you that there are times that an elder or a pastor, if you submit to this church, there are times where I will feed you stuff that you don't like to eat, but it's good for you. My mother used to make pound cakes, and she didn't cut corners. You know, today we we cut corners. Instead of sugar, we're going to use applesauce. Don't ever do that. That's disgusting. (laughs) My mother would make a pound of sugar and a pound of butter, and she'd throw it all together, and she'd mix up a pound cake. But what she would do is she'd make that along with dinner, and she would not let us get to the pound cake until we ate our vegetables. She said, you better eat that cauliflower. You better eat them green beans. I didn't want cauliflower, but I needed it. So what she was doing was she was giving me maximum nutrients. The only thing worse, the only thing worse than unfaithful biblical preaching is selective preaching. Preaching that's only going to give you what we think is best. That is why we go through books of the Bible. Because if I didn't go through a book of the Bible, I would by nature only give you what I think is best. But when we go through a book of the Bible, we have to go through everything Peter is saying, everything Paul says in Colossians, everything the book of Jonah says. Selective preaching isn't helpful for you. Why? Because you need a full diet. You need a whole diet. And so the Bible says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Part of that shepherding is feeding them. The other part of it is uh, protection and, and leadership. Like you need that. Here's what Jesus says. Or Jesus doesn't say Jesus is sitting on, a, on the beach and he's sitting with Simon, Peter and the disciples and Simon would have like Peter would have got this firsthand when they're sitting on the beaches before this is after Jesus dies before he ascends. He's sitting on the beach with his disciples and he asks Peter, he says, he says, do you love me? What does Peter say? He says, yes, Lord, you know, I love you. Jesus response is feed my lambs. He says to him again, do you love me? His response is, yes, Lord, you know, I love you. What does he say? Tend to my sheep. Then he says it a third time, do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, Lord, you know everything. And what does Jesus respond? Feed my sheep. A primary responsibility of any elder is to feed you. If anybody gets up here and claims pastoral authority and doesn't feed you, you should run. You should not be in this church. You should leave if we're not faithful to what the text says. And I can promise you, elders should be growing. Elders should be. That's why I go to a six hour class on a Saturday morning, a Greek class. You think I feel like sitting in Greek for six hours on a Saturday? I do it because I want to be faithful to the text. I do it because I need to grow. And don't sit under any shepherd that is a gospelless shepherd that's not growing in his time in the word. I'm told of a story of a flight that was on its way to LAX and it had to do a two hour layover in Sacramento. And so when they land in Sacramento, the the flight attendant gets on and she says, everyone is more than welcome to stretch your legs. You can get off and we'll board back on the plane in a couple of hours. And so everybody starts to deplane and get off the plane except one guy. One guy sits there and he's blind. So the pilot knows the guy. So when the pilot is getting off, he sees him as the only one sitting on the plane. And he says, I'll walk you out. You know, I'll I'll take you out if you want to go and stretch your legs. And the the blind man says, no, 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 no. I'll stay here and wait for the flight to take off. But my CNI dog would love to be walked. And so the pilot thought this was a good time to play a joke. And so he goes back to the cockpit and he grabs his shades and then he takes the c i dog. Can you imagine what the people on the flight thought <laughs> when the pilot gets off with glasses and a CNI dog? They were upset to the point where many of them went and changed flights. What were they really trying to say? Here's the point of that story. They were saying, I have no intent of flying on a plane that the pilot can't see. And you in this room should have no intent to submit to elders that do not love and are faithful to the word of God. You just shouldn't. You really in so many churches. That's the one thing that I don't like about faithful, unfaithful churches that pastors that just don't are not in the Bible is the amens. Like it's one thing if you're not in the Bible, but you're getting booed. And you should if I'm not in the Bible, <laughs> boo me. But there are times Where people are just saying crazy stuff and the amens in the crowd is confusing to me. Don't sit under unfaithful teaching. Why? Because the Bible says shepherd the flock. But we're not only called to shepherd the flock. I spent enough time in that verse. We're also called to provide leadership. Look back at verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Here's leadership. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion. But willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. Lifting up the first part of that, the the B part of verse number two, exercising oversight. That's leadership. There are moments in your. That doesn't mean I'm in your business. That means that if sin arises. If there's, if you're heading down a wrong path, I should be able to tap you on your shoulder and say something's not right here. And here's the thing about the text: you should trust that. Again, you wouldn't say to a dentist, "You're doing that root canal wrong." But yet, with pastors, like in Psalms 23, when the sheep got led to the green pasture, they didn't say, "This pasture's not green enough." The sheep didn't say, "This water's not still enough." They submitted and trusted the leadership that was over them. And so exercising oversight doesn't mean I'm in your business. It means that I'm giving leadership. But the text doesn't even allow me to just give oversight. It tells me my attitude when I give the oversight. Look at the text. Verse number two, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Here's my attitude, not under compulsion, but willingly. I should be like there is not a moment on a Sunday that I should come in and go, oh, it's Sunday again. Like pastors, they should pastor with passion. That was a lot of Ps. <laughs> there should not be a moment where I come in, like, can you imagine after church you came up to me and I'm like, oh, it's you again. <laughs> I do that. I know I do that, but everybody else, you know, I don't do that to the all. But can you imagine you come to me and I'm just like, I don't feel like talking to you. You imagine coming to me with an issue. I need counsel. I'm like, I don't feel like counseling you. We should be able to elder and pastor with a sense of passion. Why? Because the text says not under compulsion. Like, I don't get to do this. Like, I mean, I don't have to do this. I get to do it. I'm honored to do it. And can I promise you, there's nothing else that I would rather do than this right here. Like, you couldn't offer me enough money, fame, fortune. You, There's nothing. Like, listen to me. Nothing else I would rather do in life right now than shepherd and pastor this church. That's my, that's my desire. That's my heart. That's my goal. If God graces me with 30 to 35 more years, I'll be at the retirement age. I pray that God would grace me to continue to do this, be able to pass this church on to some young buck that thinks he knows everything. And I sit back. And I can just disciple through, you know, disciple the next generation. That way, I would love to die doing this, not under compulsion. If you're looking at this as a backup plan, you cannot be an elder here. This is, you do this not under compulsion. We do this willingly. I do this because, not because I have to, but because I get to. I get to join Jesus in helping to redeem this neighborhood by planting this local church. It is a desire It is an honor to do this. I promise you, man, when I got called to uh, pastor and plant this church here, my wife and I were on our way to Alpharetta, Georgia. We just were. Like, I was moving up the corporate ladder at Verizon Wireless. By God's grace, I was making some money. We just bought a house and, you know, nice little four-bedroom house, two-car garage, sitting on a little land. It was quiet. It was peaceful. I thought I was going to relocate to Alpharetta and stack up, you know, my, my little money and save. And then the Lord called me, and it was crazy because in the calling, it wasn't like money was there. Like, can we put, can we put to bed this whole Pastors are, you know, wear cufflinks and wear bed, like drive. I have a Toyota Corolla with a dent in it. Like can, can we just can we put that whole thing to rest? We don't do this for the perks because if I'm honest, there's not many perks to it. We do this not under compulsion. We do this willingly. Here's what Jesus says about here's what Jesus says about a hired pastor, a hired shepherd. He says, "I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep." Listen to verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own his own sheep, see the wolves coming and leave the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and they scatter. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Like we don't do this because of money. That's why the Bible goes on and says in verse number In verse number two, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. And then it says, not for shameful gain. Do not think we do this for shameful gain. If you're trying to be an elder as a backup plan because you got fired, that's the wrong motive for being an elder. Like, you won't get far here if you're like, you know what, I got fired, but I think I'm going to try this elder thing out. First of all, there's not much money in it. Can we just be honest? It's a hard grind. You go home, there's sleepless nights. Because you're taking on the counseling and the hardship and the sin. And here's what I know is my little years of being a pastor, everybody's sinful. Like, don't get it twisted to think the person that come here looked the most spiritual. That person is sinful. And elders have to shepherd through that. But here's what I know. We don't shepherd as, like, this isn't my flock. This is Christ's flock. Look at the text. Verse number number four. And when the chief shepherd appears, Christ, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. This shows us that my ultimate role is an under shepherd. Christ is the chief shepherd. If you want to know who the senior pastor of Epiphany Church is, it's Jesus. I'm an under shepherd. I don't point people to my own self. I point people to the chief shepherd, which is why when you come in here and you gather, you hear about Christ. Because the Bible says he's the chief shepherd. Colossians will say he's the head of the church. Everything revolves around Christ. And so when it comes time to preach a message, I will never preach a message that's pointing you to me. Because I'm not the chief shepherd. I'm the under shepherd, according to the text. But we do get a reward as we talk about these these perks. There is a perk that the text says that an elder will get. Look back at the text with me. It says in the B part of verse number 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, here it is, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. It is unclear if this text is saying that the crown of glory is eternal life. It might be. We're not sure. But this text might be saying that there's a special reward for those that shepherd the flock. That's what it might be saying. That's, That's really more consistent with the context of what the text is talking about. But either one of those, here's what I know. There is a special reward that is awaiting for faithful elders. And the war, the reward, the text is saying, here's the biggest part of the text that it's unfading. Now, what Peter, what Peter has on his mind right here is the Olympic Games during the Greco-Roman era. During the Olympic Games, you know, when you won, when you won first place, it's not like now in the Olympics. You get gold, you know, you get you get put on a box of Wheaties and you get a big endorsement deal. You know what they got when they won first place in the in, in first ancient history? They got a crown that was made of fig leaves and parsley. And what would happen is a week later, that crown would start to fade. The leaves would start to die. But what Peter is saying is, an elder that runs this race well gets an unfading crown of glory. Something that will never fade, something that will never... But here's, here's what the text is really saying, that we don't do this for the applause of man. We don't do this for the amen. Can I, get, can I let y'all in on something? There's not many applause. There's not, there's, not much, there's not many amens. We don't do this for the perks. We do this to appease God. We, do, we run this race well so that God can look at you and say, here's your crown that's unfading. That's why we do this. We don't do this for notoriety. We don't do this for fame. But if you notice the text, it says, in verse number five, it says, likewise, you who are younger, Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If if you've been tracking along with us, you will notice that Peter has talked about being subject numerous times. He said be subject to unjust bosses, be subject to a non-believing husband. He even talks in, I think it's chapter 3, about being subject to the government. And now he says if you can submit, And and be subject to all of those different entities. Be subject to your elders. That's what he's saying here. And and submission takes humility. Do you notice that the text says, all of you be humble. It takes humility for you to say, I don't know if that's 100% true. Like that counsel, I don't know if that's what I should do, but I trust you. Again, the sheep that were being cared for in Psalm 23 weren't questioning the green pasture. They trusted. But it also takes humility for an elder not to get puffed up. Like there, an arrogant elder is one of the most, like that thing turns me off when somebody is just arrogant and you can see it. You know when when an elder is just arrogant and you can't talk to him, you can't reason with him. text says, all of you, not some of you, but all of you, all of us, the healthiness of the church depends on your willingness to submit. Now, here's what I know. Many of you came in today, and you've been beat up by other churches. Like, maybe you've been you've been to a church where the pastor didn't shepherd well. Maybe you've been to a church where you didn't get fed, or you weren't protected, or you were manipulated, or you were abused. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you came from a church that was a healthy church, but you kind of got into a season where it's like, I don't really need it. And some of you, I, I mean, I... I, I know it, like you haven't submitted here and you're still trying to figure out this life. But again, if you have an ailment right now and you need to go to the doctor, you will not trust that care to yourself. But why is it that we don't trust elders? Why is it that we don't trust the church? The text says, submit. Overall, what Peter is showing us in this text is the importance of pastoral covering. Like that's what he's showing us, that it's important for you to submit to a church because elders should be in place. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I take this job seriously. I, I really do. And I take this job seriously because, again, Hebrews 13:11 says, I'm gonna have to stand before God and give an account for you. Some of you, I, I know you, you might have been beat up with church before. I get it. Like I'm I'm I get it. But at the same time, I know that the spiritual health of an individual. A lot of it depends on your willingness to submit to an elder, or elders, plural. So I want to pray for all of us. I want to pray for the health of our church. I want to pray for the health of you. I want to pray for the health of future elders, because it is in that, and only that, that this church will continue to spiritually grow. Listen to me. Your need for spiritual growth, a lot of it is dependent upon the church, Father, I want to pray for every person in this room. We come into this room with mixed feelings about the church, mixed feelings about eldership and leadership. Father, would you restore the reputation of your church? Would you restore the reputation of elders in your church? Help us to lead well. Not perfect. The chief shepherd, shepherd is perfect. But under shepherds, help us to be as faithful as possible. Faithful to your word and faithful to shepherding your people. Remind us, Lord, that it is your people. We can often get beside ourselves. Remind us that not one person that submits to the local church really is that pastor's full responsibility. But we have a chief shepherd that ultimately cares for our souls. But until you come back, You've put in your church leadership, and I pray, Lord, that we would be a healthy church because we have healthy leaders. Would you raise up men in this room to take on the responsibility of shared leadership? Father, we need it. Would you grant us that today by your grace, and by your mercy? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.